up. Amen. And um, and so I just uh, I'm just so thankful uh, with what the Lord is doing. And uh, hey, uh, we can keep that baptistry uh, full every Sunday from here on out. Amen. And uh, let's just keep it going. And so if there's somebody here today that has yet to take that step and they feel led to do that and they know that uh, Christ is Lord of their life, uh, we'd love for you to take that step as well in the next several uh, weeks. Today uh, marked baptism number 17 and 18 for the year. And so that is a, an amazing year. Uh, I remember right before uh, Vacation Bible School in July, Pastor Thomas was complaining a little bit like, man, we have been dry in the baptistry, and ever since then we've baptized 10, and so actually 11. So praise the Lord for that, and um, uh, God is just moving in an amazing uh, way in this church, and I can't thank him enough uh, for using people like you and I uh, to make a difference right here in Rowan County. Hey, we've had a good week uh, of, of revival. Uh, at Milford Hills Baptist Church. Uh, I, I thank you for those that uh, came out most every night, those that, that came and heard me preach on Tuesday night. I, I can't thank you enough. Y'all just pray because God uh, started something this week that I feel like is going to uh, just set Rowan County on fire for the Lord. Uh, the Lord used that revival in many ways, uh, not just for the people there, but for the pastors uh, that were a part of that. Friday morning, uh, we had our highest attendance ever on a Friday morning prayer gathering with our pastors. We had 14 people come together just praying out. Uh, nine different churches represented, and so God is starting to do something amazing through that, and our, and our prayers are coming uh, to, fr uh, to fruition. So we're praying about 2024 right now uh, of what God would do next year and uh, how we can make that better for churches just to come together uh, with no name other than Jesus. And so y'all pray. Can we pray right now uh, before we dig into the Word? Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Uh, God, for what we've already experienced this morning, I thank you for Emma. I thank you for Elena, God, for their obedient step uh, towards uh, living their life for you, God, to show the world that uh, this is how they were going to live. And, and so, God, we're, we're proud of them this morning, but now we know uh, it's our job to raise them up uh, in this church and to disciple them up. And so, God, I pray for our kid leaders uh, that are going to be pouring into them over the next several years. Uh, Lord, the youth leaders, the future youth leaders that will be pouring into them as they get older. Um, and God, just us as, as people, as we um, just try to uh, be behind them every step of the way, we know that, that life is going to hit and they're going to they're gonna go through troubling times. But God, we're going to be reminded of today uh, where they took that step uh, to show us that they were going to live for you. God, I can't thank you enough for the last several months of how you've moved in their life, how they accepted you as Lord and Savior in their heart. And so God, today we just pray that there's one person here that needs to make that same decision, uh, that God, before we end this service, that they'll make that decision and they'll start living for you. Uh, God, as we open up the word to Galatians chapter 2, I just pray that you would uh, use it in a mighty way. Uh, use my voice. Uh, Lord, hide me behind the cross so that others will see you and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 2, church. Uh, we're in week six, uh, week 6 of this series as we have been traveling through the book of Galatians. Uh, friends and family day, uh, uh, we, 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 didn't, we didn't bring up anything uh, special to preach to you today. We're just going to continue traveling through. So I thank you for being here today. Uh, I pray you'll get something out of this. I've been encouraged uh, from the feedback that uh, you have given me as, as I've uh, tried to preach these messages to you. Uh, thank you for your kindness. Uh, I'm thankful to be used, and just some of these messages uh, have hit me just as hard as they hit you. Uh, sometimes I think uh, my me the messages are my worst, and you come out and you say, Pastor, that's the best message I've heard you preach, and so I can't thank you enough for your love and your kindness through that, um, uh, whether that's a text message, a handwritten note, just a handshake after church. I believe there's power in knowing how God is impacting us and our family, and those stories need to be shared. So if this series has impacted you in any kind of way, uh, I encourage you to share that with us, uh, share with us what we can do to, to keep that going. But Galatians chapter 2, we're going to attempt to wrap up this uh, chapter this morning, and I want to give you a thought, and, and a thought that came to my mind as I was reading this over the last several weeks, and that, that thought is faithfulness. Uh, Paul is talking about faithfulness. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you would like to live a faith-filled life for Jesus? All right, there's about 80% of you. All right, we'll take that. Yeah, it's a message that I think no matter where we're at on the playing field, in this thing called the Christian life, 
this is one that we all need to hear and we all need to apply this to our life. It actually uh, may be a message that I just need to put on repeat for myself over and over and over again. These, these first two chapters, they're going to come to a head as we look at the end of chapter 2. It's a, a key passage for any Christian. Galatians uh, 2.20 is one of the most known verses in all of Scripture for anyone that is needing to be born again, has struggled with attempting to earn their way to God. And that faithful life that we're going to look at, uh, living with faith in Christ from a position that exists exhibits faith in Christ, not trying to earn their faith in Christ or thinking we have to behave well enough to earn his favor. But I think that's kind of human nature, is it not? Uh, Let me share it this way. When we want to try to figure out how to form our lives to things, and listen to this, don't turn me off, but but it it actually conditioned us at a very young age if we think about it. Now think about this. You know, this text that we're going to look at this morning is so rich. We, we learn it at a very young age. We teach our children to earn things from us and to be punished because of certain things, do we not? Much of what we learn is that good behavior earns what? Rewards. And bad behavior what? Gets things taken away. Punishment. If you work hard enough in school, you'll get certain grades, which will re- in return... Uh, make us be successful. Or if you don't work hard enough in school and you make bad grades and on the grade book, you'll look as that as if you are not successful. If we behave a certain way, we get rewarded. We get prizes. We get gold stickers. Uh, uh, O'Reilly uh, last year would, would get something taken off a tree. This year is color levels that she is on. If we behave a different way, we get punished. And from a very little or young age, we've learned that cause and effect, punishment, crime, or like behavior with punishment or behavior with reward mentality. It's all part of how we are being raised and how we raise our kids. And sometimes we don't even notice it. And in some cases, it has a lasting effect of how we actually view God. Think about it. We, we get trophies today for first, second, and third place. And, and now we get participation trophies. Uh, we, we get trophies and, and get detentions. And in adulthood... We get the same thing. If you work hard enough, you get promoted in your job. If you put on the right face, if one of the worst things that I've ever heard and can't stand a slogan is a a fake it till you make it approach. Such terrible advice. Hey, you, you you can get promoted and you can get demoted. It's even shaped how our families live in our world today. Now, this is a subject that has bothered me for quite some time. And I don't know if I've ever preached it before. And I don't know if I've ever taught it before. But I think we're in a place of, in, in the world today where we really don't know a better way, right? Like, if there was a better way, we'd be doing it. It, it would be all throughout our families. And, and, and we don't just let people live how they want, let the kids do what they want. We know there's got to be structure in the home, but, but I don't know if there's a better way. You've got to have rules, right? But the damage is it can set us up for a really strange view of what we look at for God. And not only how God sees us, but how we get to God. Living with repercussions, chasing a blessing. It changes how we think about God. If I act good enough, then I'll have God's favor in my life. If I act bad enough, I hope He doesn't see it because I'll be judged. Does that make sense? And we ultimately sometimes see God as the ultimate scorecard reader for our life. You know, we've been taught to think that that way since we were so little. Maybe that is one of the reasons Jesus came to abolish to uh, abolish religion, to abolish the, the scorecard, so to speak. Maybe one of the reasons Jesus came was so that he could be the scorecard in our life. Maybe it's best on how well he scored, not on how well we scored. And listen, church, we're all sinners The Bible is very plain and simple that we are all sinners, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. And we'll never measure up well enough in our own eyes, ever. Uh, No matter how good of a week I have, I will never measure up to what I wanted my week to look like. Just, Just being completely honest. I have high standards 
for my day-to-day life. You can ask anybody that knows me personally. I have high goals for my family and for my life. And every single week, I try to set that bar high. But let me give you a, a special disclaimer. Listen, God loves you. No matter what your week looked like, no matter what life threw at you this week, no matter how much trouble you went through, my God loves you. Your God loves you just the way you are. But He loves you enough to make you even better than that. What if I said you can't earn any more of God's love than what you have right now, no matter how well you do in life, how well you perform, how deeply you believe, how much you confess, how much you claim. You can never let God love you any more than He does right now. His love is infinite. He loves us all the same. You are much more wonderful to Him than you could ever imagine. He gave gave His life for you so that you could have life with Him. What if I told you that the Christian life is a get-to, not a have-to? Obedience to God should be a pleasure for us. It shouldn't be a chore in our life. What if I said sinful decisions and choices became less and less common, not because you just grind harder day to day in life, but because you got you live for Christ even more? What if the Christian life is more about Christ and less about us earning our way to Him? You know, today I'm praying, and I've been praying all week, that, that God would set us free from this thought of religion, that He would set us free from sin and death, and that He will give us the profound truth that Jesus really does love you right where you're at. No matter what you're going through, He wants to reveal Himself to you, but He also wants to do that through you. And so today, we we need people uh, that are honestly just set free from this religious chase of God. We need to, to live set free as if God is inside of us, that we leave this place today knowing that He loves us so much that He wants us to live through us, in us, and among us. In John chapter 14, Jesus said that He would go and prepare a place for us. Then He said that He would send His Spirit that would live in us and among us. And that same Spirit that hovers, hovers around us today is the same Spirit that lives in you. It's like uh, that in our lives as well. L- listen, when, when you show up and go to work from, from day to day, it should be as if one of God's people showed up. The time you walk into the office at work or whatever you do at your job, when you show up, Christ should be illuminated in your life. People should see that. Instead of the hustle, I hope I behave well enough. I hope I have time. I hope I can make it. I hope God isn't going to punish me. Look, all of that was scheduled at the cross. It was all taken care of there. Now we get to live on the winning team. So it's not our scorecard that we're having to look at. It's not our behaviors that we're having to follow. Christ did it for you. He is the ultimate scorecard for your life. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning, we're going to jump into this text, is that we need to be born again, and we need to break off all of the chains. You know, that that term born again has actually been... uh, under scrutiny for the last few years, if, you, if you've uh, been reading any kind of articles, groups of people have decided they don't like that slogan. Did you know that? Uh, they, they don't like the slogan, be born again, but the Bible speaks plainly of being born again in John chapter 3. You know, it was this story of Nicodemus. Maybe, maybe you've read that story, you've heard that story. Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, and this guy was born in this Jewish tradition. He was born into a religious home. He was born into righteousness. He comes to Jesus at night. And what does he ask? What do I need to get to heaven? What do I need to do in order to experience heaven? And so all of this was going on. I've been hearing you talk about this kingdom of God. He he wouldn't go see him in the middle of the day. Why? Why? Because he was scared to death. He was scared somebody else was going to see him. He was afraid that his temple buddies were going to kill him. Is is that not crazy? I hope you you never have a fear of church people so much that you show up to the church and you're afraid you're going to get killed. 
So many will say, I hope my church doesn't see this. I hope my church doesn't see what I'm doing. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer was pretty simple. He says, what? You've got to be born again. So we see born again in Scripture, but, but, but what does that even mean? Jesus is like, you've been born of the flesh, but you need a rebirth of the spirit and the heart. You need to go from living a, a dead life to living a life in Jesus. The gospel is all about being born again and being set free. So we're going to jump right into this, verse 15 this morning. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Let's stop right there for a moment. Paul says we are Jews by birth. He's reminding the Galatians that he is from the inside crowd here. He says, don't forget what I was born into. I was born into the Jewish faith, this uh, insider religion. I get what I was born into, but that was simply not enough, Paul says. Can I, can I say something real quick? No one, no one gets a ride into heaven because of the faith of a family member. Okay? Nobody gets a ride into heaven because of the grandkids or the sons and the daughters. Your best friend's salvation this morning is not your salvation. So Paul is saying, I was born into this. I was born by birth as a Jew, and Jews himself, Jesus himself, was a Jewish man, was he not? And, and but, but what he's trying to say and make a case against the Jews or the Gentiles here, what he's trying to get across is, look, I was an insider. The, my family, knowing Jesus, means nothing to me. And I hear it all of the time. Well, you know, I grew up in, in church. My, my kid will grow up in church. My kid will give their life to Jesus like I did. That's all well and good, but what are we doing in order to make sure that happens? Listen, we live in a world today where the grandparents are typically the ones bringing the kids to church. The parents are sitting at home, reclining, doing whatever they want to do, missing church every week, and then we wonder why something bad's happening in our kids' lives. Church is not a priority in our families anymore in American evangelicalism. It's not happening. It's just not happening. Hey, listen, even marriages, okay? You'll see the spouse, but you won't see the other one. You'll see the spouse at everything that we throw on as a church, but the other sits at home or whatever it is. We have broken homes today, and we're sitting back like, God, what are we doing? Why, why is this happening? Because we're not loving Him. We're not loving His Word. We're not taking it seriously. Listen, I grew up in a home... And, and uh, for, for so long, I, I, I lived an angry life. I like to call it an angry life. Because every time those doors were open, Thomas was there. And every time Dad would go preach somewhere, I traveled with him. But what I saw was a family that was constantly together. Listen, we live in a world today where we don't even eat at the same dinner table no more. It's not, it's not important for us in our homes. Uh, we live in a day where uh, one or the other is not home yet and the kid goes to bed not seeing mom or dad, whichever one it is. I don't want my kid to grow up in that. But over and over and over in our society today, we see it. And unfortunately, unless we get a grip on it now, it's going to get worse. And so we've got to make church priority. I'm not saying church is going to get you saved because it's not. Listen, my kid gave her life to the Lord after Bible school one night sitting in my, sitting in my, my wife's car. Okay, It didn't happen in the church. But because of the church, because of the church pouring into her, when she left that night, she knew what she was on her heart. She knew what she needed to do. And she gave her heart to the Lord. It's because people were pouring into her. Listen, people can't pour into us if we're not here, people can't pour into us if we don't have the godly influences around our life. Church has to be a priority. It has to be. Verse 16, the God, uh, Paul continues saying, knowing that a man is not justified by the works. Now, remember back in chapter 1, I gave you that definition of what it looks like to be justified. It's to have your bill paid. It's to have your sins paid for, to stand before God and this righteousness before God. He sees you through the filter of 
the cross, not through the behavior of some kind of hustle. All of the debt of your sin has been paid for by the cross of Jesus. So he's like, look, I know the law. I've memorized it. I was Jewish. But he continues, and look at this. He says, not justified by the works of the law. Now, look, you, you aren't some saint because you've worked your way to God. Okay? But, but look, he, he continues in this. He says, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Now, remember back in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, um, he's, he just said that no one justified by the work. So, so we believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. It's like he's trying to repeat himself, make himself known. He's repeated himself a couple of times in the first uh, couple of chapters here. He's trying to repeat himself to make sure that they heard it. Okay, so, so we know that no one is justified by the law. So we have put our faith in Christ to be justified by God. No one is justified by the law. And then he continues again. He said, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And that ends verse 16. He says it again. Like, if you didn't hear me the first time, or read it the first time, let me repeat this again. We are not more justified by the law by going out and doing all of these religious works than a person that has been justified that's not doing these things. And I'm not saying go and sin however you want. Don't take that from this message today. Please don't. I'm not saying that at all. Going to a prayer meeting doesn't make you holy. Okay? Going to every church service does not make you holy. Giving a big check and waving it in front of the face of people does not make you holy. It doesn't make you more holy. God isn't impressed with that stuff. Actually, what God says is do it in secret. Hey, but what he is impressed with is the heart and the motive behind it all with you living this authentic Christian life. And the levels that we grow are down in humility and humility and humbleness. And it's less about me and more about Christ. You want to be more like Christ than you serve. You serve, you give, and you grow down. It's not getting to the highest level to be attained. The problem is so many want to be at the top that nobody wants to be here in the middle. Everybody wants the title, but nobody wants to put the work in. When the really the hardworking players are all the way at the bottom. They're the ones that are given their life to serve. We're not more godly because we do more things. We are more godly because Jesus died on the cross for your sin. That's it. God is so pleased with that. Now look, even when you're on the winning team, and you sat the bench, still get out there and wear the ring, right? You think the Super Bowl players that never got to see the field in a game, you think they still wear their Super Bowl ring? You better bet they do. No, they don't care that they played a single second of that game. They were on the winning team. They're going to flash that ring all day long. I know a guy in the NFL that has won three Super Bowls, and he's yet to start on any three of those teams. But he's won three Super Bowls. He's been on the winning team every time. Hey, he could have been the practice dummy that got hit in practice over and over and over again. He could have been the guy wearing the red shirt on the, on the practice squad over and over and over again. But he was on that team. You know what Riley's really good at? Let me pay for everything. She doesn't even hardly understand the concept of me paying for it. But yet it's paid for. And it's the same for you. Christ has paid the bill. Wear that proudly. Wear it like you belong on the winning team. I'm going to hit on it again. When you are out and about in this community, wear Christ proudly. I'm not asking you to put on a Cross Life t-shirt and wave Cross Life in front, of, in front of faces. I'm saying wave Jesus in front of faces. Look at the text. It's not about anything you have done. Now listen, I'm not telling you just to lay there and do nothing today. We have the right motivation and do it in the right proper way. We want to live godly. We want to live in a way that honors the Lord, and whatever happens, live in a way that honors the gospel. We read that in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. You just go do whatever you want. No, we live because he did everything for us. Remember what I said a few weeks ago. Jesus plus anything else is religion. 
Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. This passage shows us the truth of what happens when we place our faith in Jesus. You know, we're, we're not saved by any works we do. That includes saying the sinner's prayer. Okay, prayer, praying some prayer does not save you. Anyone in this room can say that today. Well, I said a, a prayer a few months ago. I followed it up with baptism. You aren't saved by that stuff. But there's a but. If Christ has changed you, if Christ has saved you, and you've been baptized, and you did it according to His will because Christ has changed you, you belong to His kingdom now. You belong in heaven. You belong in His church. You serve in His church. You give to His church. And because Christ has saved you, those things become who you are. Why? Because we make Him known. Because we are known. Because we belong. We are on the team, the winning team. We place our faith in Christ. People will say this. Well, isn't faith works? Look, look, here's faith. I had faith this morning that when I got here and went to that back panel for the, for the sanctuary lights, that those lights would come on. I had no idea how those lights work. I don't know how they're wired. I don't know anything about electricity. Uh, every time I go to do electricity, somebody tells me, Mitch, I'm not going to call out any names. Hey, hey, th that wire is not hot. And then I touch the wire, and it's hot. And so I'm done touching wires, especially in this place. I'm done touching wires. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't touched that wiring for these lights. I don't know how the electrical boxes ran. I have no idea how that box right there gets to those light poles out there. And somehow those light poles go all the way across the state of North Carolina and go some some hub out there that... that that illuminates these lights. We have no idea, but when you go home today and you turn on that light switch, you got faith that those lights are going to come on, right? Like that's how faith works. We place our faith in Christ in verse 16. We, we need more preaching about having Jesus in our life and what that looks like than all these watered-down messages that we hear that just tells us, hey, accept Jesus. Anyone can accept Jesus, but not everyone wants to actually walk with Jesus 24-7. How can anyone know it without it being preached about? We have to make him known. Paul says we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. These words, believed and faith, mean the same thing in the Greek. In the, word, in the Greek word pistos. And it is a deep-seated confidence in something that persuades and it produces everything else. This is what I'm saying. Faith in Christ is not some cognitive awareness of what happened. It's a deep confidence that produces a lifestyle that follows. It persuades and it produces everything. I believe that the lights will come on. So I go over to the switch and I flip it. Faith, confidence, deep-seating assurance. It's what God is doing through us. Paul says there is a gift of faith and it's coming alive through us and in us. And we must believe confidently that it changes our behavior. If we're not careful, we can go back to our childhood view of reward and punishment. And we can live in that behavior between life is good and bad and that God will balance the scales and say, well, you had more good than you did bad, so therefore you get to go to heaven. We put our faith in that, and sometimes we live in that. But justification is not by our behaviors. It is by the results of our conviction and our commitment to the gospel to embrace the message of the gospel. Number two this morning, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You know, we, we sing that song a lot. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. See how it did? Jesus paid it all. It's not that I paid it all. It's not that you paid it all. It's not that your family member paid it all. It's Jesus paid it all, and it's all to him that we owe. He left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He paid it. 
I didn't have to do anything for it. While I was a sinner, he died for me. I didn't have to pay for that. Now listen, I don't have to do that. I get to do that. He's not looking at me as I have to pay all of that back to him. He paid it all for me so that I could be set free from going to a place called hell. Verse 17 and 18. Paul continues, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For I build again those things which I destroyed. I make myself a transgressor. Now, let me explain this the best way that I know how. If we're trying to be Christians, Paul says, what? I was born Jewish. I've tried to put my faith in God. Right, that, that is what he's, that's what he's sharing to the church at Galatia. Paul is saying even in our efforts to be justified, part of us still wants to try and earn that respect. There are times we try to revert back and earn what God has already earned for us. Let's just be honest. In our minds, sometimes we think we have to be perfect, but when we try to be perfect, we get tied up with religion. We get tied up with rules. Paul says be free from that stuff. Paul says, if you believe, you go saved by faith. You are saved by faith, but yet you've got to keep hustling. You're actually at the point of making Jesus a servant of whatever your spirit looks like. He's not a servant to your sinfulness. Okay, And I'm going to say it again. If we add anything to the gospel, it actually insults Jesus. If you believe you are saved because you act a certain way, or you behave a certain way, fix your hair a certain way, attend a certain denomination, serve a certain way. You have failed to serve Jesus in the way that He intends us to serve Him. That's why Paul says, For if I build again those things which I destroyed, the religious wall has been destroyed. Why would anyone want to build, rebuild what Jesus has already destroyed? And if you go back and read the account, when, when Jesus died on the cross... That veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Some of you may not even know what that, that truly means. When, when the temple was established, there were various rooms throughout that temple in, the, in that Holy of Holies, and only the priests would come into the Holy of Holies. There were other temple courts that everybody else could go in, okay? but only, only this straight room was for the Holy of Holies, which was for a priest. The priest was going to go pray to God, and if he had sin in his life, if he had enough sin in his life right there, he'd die right there on the spot. The Scripture tells us in the Gospel, when Jesus died, that veil was literally ripped all the way down to the ground. This veil had to be pried open any time a priest had to go in there. Okay, so that tells you the significance, how much uh, that veil was, how much it weighed, that symbolism to that was that God was saying, now there's an all-access plan. Now we have all access to Him. And if any of us try to put the veil of holiness, of righteousness, of the nomination, of, of ritualism and, and, and behaviors back up, I'm going to rebuild the veil to make us holy. Paul says, you're a sinner for doing that. We're all sinners. The Bible's plain about that. I told you that at the beginning of the message. Like, I, I need all of the grace that I can get. I don't know about you. I need all of God's forgiveness that I can get. Lord knows I fail Him every single day of my life. The question is, do we even realize it and recognize it anymore when we fall short? Are we grieved in our hearts when we fall short, or is it just another day for us? I've had so many conversations over the last five years since Cross Life was established, with people just being bound by religion. Look, it's out there. It's all, it's, it's all over our county. I had one about three and a half years ago. I'm not going to say names because some of you will know who he is. He's so bound up by religion, so bound up, he couldn't even see that Cross Life Church was different from all that stuff. We have so many that just assume, oh, well, this, this church is going to hurt me. And so after six months or a year, they go looking to be hurt when the church isn't out there to hurt them at all. Like, that's not what we're for. And, and, and if, that's what, if that's what our mission is, to hurt people, then, man, we need to shut it down today. Like, that's not who we are. It's, it's the mindset, well, it's going to happen eventually. And we, we live that life. We walk through the door saying, oh, well, well somebody doesn't like me. Or, hey, somebody, somebody's against me. But it's not that. I don't, I don't live my life every day going through my phone saying, man, who's, who's against me today? 
but we live a life because we've been hurt before. We use that as the escape every single time. Listen, I was that person for a while. The last church I pastored, I literally had a lady look at me after a wedding one day. And she's like, Thomas, you know, you know why we didn't share all of our bad stuff with you before you came here? I was like, why? Because we knew you wouldn't come. And I hurt. And there's things today that, that still bother me because we see churches just wrapped up in religion. Like, look, I'm just here to serve. I'm no better than anybody else in this room. Uh, look, anybody can have this pulpit if you want to preach the Word of God. I'll sit down and listen to you all day. It's my job to be your shepherd. It's my job to guide you and direct you. I don't take that lightly, but it doesn't make me some top of the totem pole kind of guy. Like, look, there's a lot of days that I live my life I wish I wasn't at the top. I'll just be honest. Uh, there's a lot of days I wish I could be in the middle. There's a lot of days where my family just wishes on Sunday morning we could go into a church and sit in the pew and serve. I'm just being honest and raw with you. There's a lot of days that go by like that. We just want to be normal people. There's days where we go to the movie theater or we go out to eat that we wish we could just be normal people. But guess what? God has called us to something greater. God has called me to something greater. So what do I do? I put on Christ when I walk out of my house. I put on Christ everywhere that I go. Not because I'm better than anybody else, because I want them to see Christ in me. It's the same thing for you as a life of a believer. Anybody else that lives the life that I live that says, I've got Jesus in my heart, that should be the same life that you live. It's not because I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's not because I'm a, I'm a church leader. It's not because I can pray something bigger or mightier. It's because I know that Christ lives in me. And so the more that Christ lives in me, I want Christ to be illuminated out of me. And that's how it is for everybody here. And so it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter what your background looks like. It doesn't matter what sin that you have struggled with for years and years. Listen, he can take care of that stuff at the altar today. He can do that. I believe that my God can do that. How many times have you heard it said like this? If I do blank, will I go to hell? The whole question is rebuilding that veil. One of the things that you'll learn about me and the church going through the book of the Bible is dealing with stuff like this. You know, Paul is in particular like saying things over and over and over. And when I preach through a text or a book, you're going to hear me say some of the things, same things over and over and over because it's all going to come all in full circle. Every week you may be saying, man, all he's talking about is religion. Look, that's what Paul was talking about. That's literally what he was wrapped up on in Galatia. And I think the reason that he keeps coming up is because many of us are victims of it. You can't do anything to lose your salvation today. You, can't, you, can't, you can leave it if you want to. Okay, That's called free will. Sin does not have dominion over your life and jeopardize your whole life. We have his spirit. We are called to be his own. Verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. Through the law, died to the law. Crazy talk, right? Like, what does that even mean? Through the law, now, now look, we sin. God says, here's a gift to guide you, direct you back to me. And in the law came this system. That was a payment for sin, which was blood sacrifice. Hit on that a, a few weeks back. That's the law. Paul is saying, through that system God gave us, I've died to the system. There was a system for sacrifice that you would be atoned for. And that God said, I'm going to be the sacrifice. And when we receive the payment of the law, we are not bound by that anymore. It's like doing your time in jail. Okay? And, and after doing your time, you say, I've done my time, now I'm free. I lived through the law. I got through the law. So now I might live for God. Listen, that means you don't live to the law anymore. We are no longer held to the same law because of Jesus coming and Jesus dying and shedding His blood for you. What a brilliant way to not be covered by the old law anymore. So now the life we live, we live for God. We don't, we don't live for rules or religion. We don't live for some brand of Christianity. 
I get the question all the time. What denomination is your church? What kind of church are you? Who, who cares? You know, this is, this is what I'm going to start saying. We preach the Bible and we preach Jesus. The older I get, the less I worry about that. What denomination are we at Cross Life? If somebody asks you that, say Jesus. You know, the gospel. Oh, bet y'all are one of those new style churches, aren't you? I don't even know what that means. Hey, I've never been in one of those churches before. But I bet if you come, Jesus can change your life. Look, we, we, we don't live for rules. We don't live for religion. We don't live for branding. But we don't live for ourselves either. But who God designed us to be. We live for God. We live as slaves. Not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Lastly, this morning, really quick. I'm going to close up. Life is real. Life is real. How many of you would agree with that statement today? <laughs> life is real. Life can hit you in the face in a heartbeat, can it? I, I asked at the beginning of the of the service this morning, who wants to live a faithful life to God? About 80% of you raised your hand. Uh, that's real life. Verse 20. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Here's the thing. You don't physically have to, to get on the cross next to him. He did it for you. You don't have to do that. You've accepted his crucifixion as his own. Baptism, as we saw this morning, we go under. We go into the grave with Christ. We come out and live for Christ with new life. Romans 6, I'm reconciled with Christ. That's why we celebrate when somebody comes out of the water. They're a new creation. We celebrate new life. But look at it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've said yes to Christ, your old self has died. You don't get to rule anymore. I cringe when I hear, well, I'm going to go do this for a few years, and then I'm going to go do this. Uh, why do I cringe? Because I live my life in a way that is led by God. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to me next year. I don't know what my ministry is going to look like six months from now. I don't know what's going to happen in two years. Better yet, next month. Is it a good plan? Yes. Do we need goals? Yes. But don't put limitations on God. I remember driving down the road a couple of years ago, and God just spoke to me and says, Thomas, who's to say that you get to set the goals in this church? Who, who, who's, who's boss, me or you? And it's like God just said, hey, you've said it too low, man. You're not believing enough. You're not believing in me enough. But God will put you in your place in a heartbeat if you let him, if you listen to him. Remember how Paul started the text. He's like, I grew up Drew. I grew up Jew. I grew up in the law. I grew up knowing the rules. I know the, I know the Old Testament. I know the first five books by heart. I don't live that way now. The life that I now live is in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Your faith produces your life. Your life doesn't produce your faith. When you say yes to Jesus, you say no to the law. You say no to religion. You say no to your flesh. You say no to passion. You say no to your preferences. You say no to your lifestyles. Those orientations, the baggage, the sin, the old self is crucified. When Christ went to the cross, He became your sin. You don't carry it anymore. You don't get to live how you want. You don't make God accept you. You get to live accepted and live changed. Everyone dies to self. We die to race. We die to orientation. We die to political stuff. We die to gender, sexuality, confusion, discussion. All of that dies. Middle class. I'm from high class church. Nope, I'm a Christ follower. Why? Because I'm known by Him that I can make Him known through me. That's it. Galatians 2.20 teaches that. Whew. I'm out of breath. This is why the principle of giving shouldn't be hard for us to look at. I know there are churches that are, that are misusing funds out there, but I, I'm like Coach Primetime on, on the Coach Colorado University. We save the receipts. If you got a question on how something is spent, hey, we have receipts for that reason. We can show you every transaction that we have. We don't, we don't have anything to hide. When you get a budget report on October the 15th, it's going to show what's in the bank. We've got nothing to hide. Look, if you want to see what I get paid as a salary, it's on there. I don't hide anything. 
Why? Because I want you to see it, and I want to be fully transparent with what happens in this church. I thought that would get an amen, but it didn't. That's all right. Uh, it shouldn't be hard for us. It shouldn't be hard to give in the offering plate. We should have trust by now to know that every $2 out of 10 that goes out of here, it's going out. Look, we give 20% of our budget out. That's what we try to do. It's why going to small groups shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be hard because we try to create discipleship in the church. Why being involved in church activity? It shouldn't be hard for us. Why? Because we say we are going to go through, uh, grow through our worship and our study. We're going to go and tell the world about Jesus. We're going to give up our life. We can't do those things without being family. We can't, we can't be a family if we never hang out with the family. We can't get to know people if we don't hang out with the family. I'm just going to say, and I hold back right now, our flesh, I don't have time to go to church more than Sunday mornings. No, you mean you haven't made time for it. That's what that means. I hear, I don't have the money to give that way. No, you haven't allowed God to run your finances in the way that you can give. You've allowed the world to take it over. Look, the life that we live in the flesh and our budget. In our bedroom, hey, when we scroll on Facebook, I probably just messed up my phone. The life that we live by faith in Christ who loves us and gave himself for us. Look, the reason we don't have time for God is because we're not making time for God. Look, I do my very best every single day to spend time with everything that I think needs my time. But if I miss a day, not studying God's Word, not praying, this wouldn't be in existence today. There has been many times where we have been tired and we have been worn slap out, but God always gets His time. He has to. I'm not saying I don't fall short. Look, a couple of, couple of weeks ago, I, on my Bible app, anybody, anybody get that notification every day that you, you've got so many days that you've read straight? I was over 300 and some days on my Bible app, and guess what? The clock hit 12.01 after midnight, and I lost every day I had. It's not that I didn't make time to read. I hadn't got there yet. <laughs> so now I'm on like 17 or 18 or something. Drives me bonkers, man. Like A couple of years ago, I was at like 700 and some days, and then bam, missed it again. We have those moments. Life gets so busy sometimes. It's not that we don't want to make time. Look, God's people make time. We find ways to make time. Most important thing you need to hear from me is this, and I'll get the worship team to come on up. I think everything I've said today is pretty valuable, but here's the most important thing, if I can knock it down. If you say yes to Jesus, it's not that He's going to save you in the afterlife, but when you say yes to Jesus, He's Lord of this life too. Worship team, would y'all come? You get to live for Him. You get to live with Him. It's not Thomas. It's Christ living through Thomas. When you see me, you should see Christ in me. You should see what Christ is growing through me. I serve how He wants me to serve. I give how He wants me to give. He transforms my family. I get to be a transformation of Him. John the Baptist says, more of Him, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. If you think living for Jesus is wearing some bracelet or putting some t-shirt on or putting something around your neck or getting something tattooed to you, that's not the right way. Your life should look more like like Jesus, period. That's it. The way we talk, the way we treat people, the way we grow, the way we serve, the way we give, so that your life will look more and more like Jesus. He's known in you. If I can just get the worship team to play, just, just, just play what you're going to play through your invitation. How do we do this? How do we do How do we sum up all of these things? Number one, we worship. Number two, it's the Word. Number three is prayer. It's not rocket science. It's worship. God's word first. Prayer. I know it sounds simple, but that's literally what it is. Are we coming in with a heart of worship? Are we spending time in the word of God every day? Are we in a constant thinking of prayer and communion with God? Lift your hands in worship, church. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Let him know how good he is. Look, if there's nothing else you can come to the altar for today, it's to thank him for his goodness.
listen to music. I, I don't care if it's hymns. I don't care if it's contemporary. I don't care if it's Southern gospel. I don't care if it's Christian rap. I don't care what it is. Let God be illuminated in your life. When we sing here on Sunday mornings, worship and sing it out loud. The Word. Second, are we reading God's Word? Are we in God's Word? If not, we need to start reading it every day of your life. You want to know the plans God has for you? The world doesn't know your plans. Your spouse does not know your plans. Your grandmother or your, uh, your, your grandfather or your mom or your dad, they don't know the plans that God has for you. Read the Bible. I promise you, God will show you His plans for you. Sometimes we overpray when we need to be reading. We ask God how we should give, how we should serve, how we should worship. Listen, you don't have to ask God for any of that stuff because He outlines it right here in Scripture of how you do all of those things. It's in the Bible. Just read it. Third, we need to grow in prayer. Over the next 30 days, can we just all grow in worship and studying His Word and by praying? Jesus said, if you get around Him, you'll start acting like me. You'll start talking like me. You'll start thinking like me. And in verse 21, he says this, I do not set aside the grace of God, for His righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He says if you can get to God in any way, except through His Son Jesus, then we need to close the book. We need to go home because there's nothing else that we can gain from Him. Paul says if that's the case, Jesus died for no purpose. But listen, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ absolutely died for a purpose. And that purpose was so that you would all get the honor and glory to live for Him through the payment of His sacrifice on the cross. Maybe today you come and you're here on this Friends and Family Sunday and you have never given your life to Jesus before. I encourage you right now, open up your heart. I invite you to come. I invite you to do that. Maybe you just need to just lay it down at the altar. Maybe it's a sin in your life. Maybe it's a struggle that you've had. I encourage you to come. Hey, listen, if there's nothing else that we can do, I think we can all give praise and glory to God for what He's done in your life at the altar. Maybe it's a lost person that you need to pray for. You come and you respond how the Lord calls you to respond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you right now in this moment, in this invitational time for you to move mightily. God, let this altar be flooded with people crying out to you. Lord, I pray if there's one person here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life, that today would be a day that salvation hits their life. God, thank you for the service. Thank you for the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand with us as you, as you come. Come if you need to come.